Hey everybody, it's Pastor Will. Welcome or welcome back to the Brazos Fellowship Podcast. Thank you for listening today. And at the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to this podcast if you aren't already. But more importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take the next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. Hey, good, good morning. It is so, so awesome to be with y'all. Y'all don't know this, but my wife Julie and I love you. We don't know you well, but we know Pastor Will and Leslie, and we've been praying for y'all since before you were a gleam in Will's eye. This church, what God is doing in this place, when Will told me that they were going to be a part of planting a church in College Station, I was like, College Station? Man, that's like foreign missions. But it is amazing, and uh, I, I'm just so, so grateful to get to be here with y'all, and uh, you know... It, it, it's, it's amazing to me how God works and operates and moves. And, and I think you need to understand that you are a part of something that does not happen on every street corner. What God is doing through you, and for you all to have the character and the quality of leadership that you have in Pastor Will and the staff around here, I think you ought to give it up for them and getting to be a part of what y'all get to be a part of. Um. I love, love getting to, to just watch and pray for and be a part of what God is doing here at Brazos Fellowship and, and so appreciate Will and his friendship. Matter of fact, I'm so excited to speak into this series that y'all have been in for the last few weeks. If you're new or you're not around here, they've been doing a series called The Most Important Thing About You. And I love that so much that I am going to steal the dog out of this series. I'm not going to preach the same sermons, but we're going to take the idea and we're going to do this back home in Austin. We, as we lovingly refer to Austin, the People's Republic of Austin. So we're excited about that. And uh, I'm really, really excited to get to speak into this because if you haven't been here, the idea is that the most important thing about you is what happens in your mind when you think about God. What you think about God actually is the most important thing about you because that informs everything that you think, everything that you believe, and that informs everything that you do. And so to get to speak into that and talk about that is actually a lot of fun, particularly as you and I are coming out of the last 12 months that we have all been through. I think we would all agree that the last 12 months has been an amazing decade. You know, just, just to go through everything. Think about this. A year ago, most of us never even used the word pandemic. I mean, I think I read that somewhere in college. I, and now it's just part of our everyday lingo and all these kind of things. And so I think to kind of put some things in context as we get into this morning's message is to kind of take a look at some of the things. My wife, Julie, runs a, a, she leads a ministry called Fearless Mom, and it is an amazing ministry for moms. They posted something, you know, I know obviously we're in 2021 right now, but I saw, somebody said to me the other day, said that March is just the 15th month of 2020. Because when you think about it, you know, things did not just all of a sudden go back to normal when the calendar flipped over to January 1st. This is what Fearless Mom posted about 2020. If it were a math problem, if you're going down a river at two miles per hour and your canoe loses a wheel, how much pancake mix would you need to reshingle your roof? <laughs> I, I think that kind of captures it perfectly. 
And it's not just, you know, for everyday normal folks like you and me, even, you know, celebrities, people at the top of the socioeconomic ladder have struggled over the last 12 months. I saw this, 2020 has been a difficult year, share. <laughs> now, I, I got to tell you something. When I saw this picture of Alice Cooper as share, I spit Topo Chico out of my nose. That's the funniest thing I've seen in a long time. <clears throat> but then, yesterday, as I was on my way to College Station from Austin, I came across, I was looking at something, not while I was driving, but I came across something that's, you know, one of those this dates in history that I think just put it into perfect context. Did you know that yesterday was a historical day? Yesterday was a historical event culturally in our world. Take a look at this. Yesterday is the true anniversary of lockdown. A year ago today, Tiger King entered our lives. Now, I want to ask you a question. And just remember, you're in church, so don't lie. How many of you watched Tiger King? Let me just see a show of hands. I did. I watched every minute of it. It was like a train wreck that you could not. Now, if you did not raise your hand, you're a better person than the rest of us. But it was unbelievable. But a year ago, we'd never heard of Tiger King. Isn't that amazing? I think all of us could acknowledge and just kind of, we, we all just know we've been through it for the last 12 months. I, I think what's interesting to me, though, is that the last 12 months have not ushered in really anything new. All the last year has done is really crystallized some of the chaotic cultural currents that were already kind of simmering just below the surface. These were things that were kind of creeping into our lives, but with COVID, man, it crystallized in a heartbeat, and all of a sudden, it is here. These are things that prior to the last year, we were always kind of able to keep at arm's length, maybe. We, we could stay busy or, uh, you know, just any list of pretty much unlimited distractions that we have at our disposal. But I think we have a unique opportunity as followers of Christ as the church, the bride of Christ, to come into this chaos and actually make a difference. I think this is where we get to step into the, the chaos of our culture and actually bring hope and light and truth into the equation. Jesus said something in John chapter 14 that I think is so instructive for where we are right now. In John chapter 14, Jesus is preparing his closest followers for the cross. The fact that he is about to be betrayed, handed over, and executed on a Roman cross, but then, of course, to be resurrected on that first Easter Sunday. And, and he says to them at the beginning, in the opening verses of John chapter 14, I, I don't want you to let your hearts be troubled. I, I don't want you to be down about this because there's good news on the other side of the cross. There, this will pass. And he says to them the following. He says, you know the way that I'm going. And then Thomas, the, the OG doubting Thomas, says, Lord, how could we know the way you were going? We don't even know where you were going. How in the world could we possibly know the way that you were going? And Jesus says this in John chapter 14, verse 6. Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is telling Thomas, he says to us that he is the way to the life that is truly life. And the truth 
is the way that we live the way on the way to the life that we were created to live. And so he is saying here that he is the truth. And I want us to talk today about this, this notion, this reality that Jesus Christ is the truth, that, that God is the arbiter of all truth. Of all of the things that you have been looking at as you've been studying the character and the attributes and the nature of God, to come back to this reality that Jesus Christ is the truth, that is the bedrock of a life that is lived in relationship with Christ, the bedrock of what it means to be a follower of Christ. And man, if there was ever a time in the history of the world that we need truth, now is that time. You see, you and I live in a world that does not believe in truth. Have you ever heard somebody say this? You know, he is just living his truth. Or maybe you've said, I'm going to just live my truth. I'm going I'm to tell my truth. And to be sure, we all have our own stories. But to say that I am living my own truth or she is living her own truth is actually to deny that there is an objective, actual reality in this world. That, that your truth is your truth, my truth is my truth, and let's just all get along. I, I get that. This is, this is known as relativism. Relativism says that truth is relative to the one who is perceiving the story or the truth. And so it, it changes, it ebbs and flows. But Jesus says here that he is the truth. That, that his word, the Bible, is true always. It was true when it was written, it is true when it is read, and it is true when it is lived out. And so we have to come to grips with this idea of truth being something that actually matters. And I would suggest to you that you, you may actually kind of be in that relativist camp right now. Let me, let me just suggest to you, though, that at some point, everybody becomes an absolutist. At some point, everybody becomes an absolutist, usually when you become a parent or you have to pay bills. How many of you are parents? Let me just see a show of hands if you're a mom or a dad. Okay, I remember I could take you to the exact place and date where I was when I knew I was a parent. It was when I looked in the eyes of my two-year-old daughter at the time, Emily. She was two at the time. She's still my daughter. But at the time, she was two. And after the 18th, why? 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 I said the following. I said something I promised myself I would never say as a parent. You know where I'm going with this. Because I said so. And when it came out of my mouth, I was horrified. It's like, I just said it. I am now officially old. I'm a parent. But at a certain point, somebody in the household has to determine the rules. You have to determine what you're going to do. It's the same way in life. At a certain, you, there has to be a set system and the system in the household of reality is truth. There is, in fact, an objective truth. Financially, if you pay bills, you're an absolutist. You see, I can't call American Express. Let's say that my American Express bill this month is, I don't know, $150. <laughs> Wouldn't that be nice? But let's just say that that's what it is. And I call up American Express and say, hey, Amex, I understand that your truth is that I owe you $150, but my truth is I'm going to send you 75 and we're going to call it even. 
that person on the other end of the line is going to be like, <laughs> that's fine, Mr. Richard, Richard. But if you don't pay the bill in full, then the amount that you don't pay in full, we're going to charge you 23% interest on until Jesus comes back. Have a nice day. That's an absolute truth. Two plus two equals four. Unless you're a philosophy major at the University of Texas, and then you can make it whatever you want. The great irony about philosophy at the University of Texas, did you know that on the main building in Austin, some of you may not know this, on the main building in Austin at the University of Texas is inscribed Jesus' words in John, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. You shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. That's what Jesus is up to. That's that's what he's all about. And this is particularly important, I think, for those among us who are kind of in that, that generation, I would say between like 13 and 30. If you're a student or a young adult, I mean, it is so important that you understand the Christian faith, our, our belief in Christ as the Son of God, the Savior of the world, can absolutely withstand the intellectual rigor of any philosophy class or professor that there is in the world. You don't have anything to back up from if you're a follower in Christ. The Bible never tells us to check our brains at the door and just follow blindly. We have faith that is based in fact, in truth, and in reality. And I think especially in this day and age, for our students, it is so important that, that we are teaching them the truth, that, that we, the church, and we, moms and dads, are showing them why this is true, why it works, and that, that the truth is in their best interest to know and to follow. It, it's one thing to tell a child, I, because I said so, but at a certain point, you, you've got to be able to have these kind of conversations with them. And I think the reason or the fact that this is not happening on the scale that it should be happening is playing itself out with devastating consequences. The Pew Research Center recently reported that for students aged 13 to 17, 13 to 17, 70% say that anxiety and depression are serious issues for their age group. 70%. Between 2000 and 2017, America saw a 59% increase in major depressive events for those in that age group between 13 and 17. Jean Twinge is a psychologist and a generational scholar, and she's been studying what she refers to as the I-Geners, those who were born after 1995. She says, they, she says the following, based on her research. They are both the physically safest generation and the most mentally fragile. College campuses, safe spaces. If you say something that offends someone else, that is now tantamount to physical violence. It is absolutely insane. And yet that's the world that we live in. We have to equip our kids. We have to equip the next generation with the truth, with the reality that God's way works best. It is in their best interest. And so 
I want to just share with you kind of what I, what I kind of refer to as the life cycle of thoughts, feelings, and ideas. We all have thoughts, feelings, and ideas, and they, they pop into our brain. How many of you have ever had a crazy thought flash through your brain today? I'm just kidding. We, that happens all the time. It happens all the time. And, and a lot of times, like, oh, I wish I hadn't thought that, or I wish I didn't feel this way. Don't give yourself a break. Give yourself some grace. The, the human mind is incredibly powerful. I, I remember something from when I was in fourth grade, as clearly as I'm standing here today. I, I remember in fourth grade, I grew up in Houston. We took a field trip to Austin. It was an overnight field trip. And on this trip to Austin, we went to the state capitol, and we got a, a guided tour of the, the Senate and the House and all of the offices and the statues and everything and everything. Well, when we finished the guided tour portion of the tour, we had about 20 or 30 minutes before we had to leave, and they said, you are free to roam the Capitol for 20 minutes. <laughs> I'll never forget this. So my buddies and I, we all kind of ran walked. Remember how you ran walked when you were a kid? We ran walked to the stairs, and we went up to the tallest tallest level in the rotunda of the state capitol in Austin. And I will never forget coming to the edge of that railing and looking over. I was like, Whoa. this is what happened in my little fourth grade mind. I looked over the edge and I don't know where this came from, but I just thought to myself, what if I have a spasm and I jump? <laughs> I, I remember, I, I vividly remember this. And so I kind of started, it wasn't like a full-blown panic attack or anything like that, but I did kind of, I just went, I'm going to just step back from the railing. And my buddies were all standing there, and I mean, spit on them. No, you spit on them. And all that. I don't think anybody spit on them. But I remember backing away from the railing because I had this fear of this spontaneous spasm that might send me over the railing. And this fear... I just kind of went down the stairs and I was no longer run walking. I was holding onto the railing. I remember that like that. Have you ever had a thought that caused you to do something you wished you hadn't done? Have you ever had a feeling that misled you? Anybody ever date somebody you never should have dated once? Hopefully you're not sitting next to them, but you understand the point that I'm making. Our minds are so powerful for good, for bad, and sometimes for ugly, that I think we need to understand what is going on. We, you know, the Bible says, don't be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Our brains are so important. Our minds are so powerful. Here's the life cycle of thoughts, feelings, and ideas. First of all, we have them, and they come from all over the place. Maybe like a fourth grader looking over the railing in the rotunda. You could have a stray thought fly in. They come from all over. Maybe your family of origin, maybe something you've read, something you've watched, something you've heard, a podcast, whatever. Well, not all thoughts, feelings, and ideas are reliable. Not all of them are rooted in truth. So we have to filter those through the saying of truth. Scripture. Now, first of all, truth, we look to Christ. But also, God's Word, the Bible, is truth. It is inspired. It is God-breathed from Genesis to Revelation. So we take all of our thoughts, feelings, and ideas, and we filter them through the saying of truth. That means that some of those thoughts, feelings, and ideas, you can just get rid of. You can eject them. They're not valid. 
Some of them are even vapid, but you filter them, and then those things that make it through the filter of truth, those things then become our beliefs or our worldview. Now, here's the thing about beliefs and worldview. You've got one, I've got one, all God's chillin' got beliefs. The question is, do we have a worldview that is rooted in intentionality or in incidental? Those are your choices. You may have a worldview by default, it just kind of happened, or you may have one by design. You've thought about it and you've done the homework. Everybody has a worldview. You all have a belief system of how you think the world operates, how you ought to operate, how you ought to vote, how you ought to date, how you ought to whatever is all rooted in your belief system, your worldview. And then your beliefs give birth to your decisions. Every decision that you make, every choice that I make is rooted in what I believe to be true and what I believe, what I base my life on. And then our decisions comprise the sum total of our lives. Your life, my life, they are all the sum total of the choices we make, the decisions that we make. Now, you may be thinking, whoa, 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 Mac. Hey, hang on a second. I, I've, I've been dealt some stuff that I had nothing to do with, that, that deeply impacted my life and the course of my life. And that's true for all of us. But even though those things happen to us, it's still the choices we make and how we respond to them that determine the course of our lives. It's not those things that happen to us. It's the choices we make in how we respond to them that, in fact, determine the course of our lives. And so as we think about this life cycle, we, we start to think through what is the standard of truth in my life? What, what, is the, what is the filter of truth in my life? Is it my experience? Is it my feelings? Is it what I want to be true? Or is it rooted in Scripture? Is it rooted in God's Word? I'll, I'll give you an example. Julie and I have been married this coming summer for 30 years. 30 years. How many of y'all are under the age of 30? Awesome. That's great. You've been breathing less than I've been married. Now, at this point, I really think we're going to make it. I really do. Now, I, I still believe with everything I have, I, I could do something stupid and torpedo it today. I know I could. I'm capable of that. But I really think we're going to make it because of the track record. I, I, look, at, I look at Julie, and y'all... One of the reasons I love Will Lewis is because I share in common with him the fact that we both married so far over our heads, we can't even see straight. When I tell you God gave to me in Julie more than I was even smart enough to ask for, I look at 30 years of faithfulness. I look at 30 years of life, love, tears, Choices, decisions, arguments. She's a great kisser, by the way. That doesn't hurt. All of those things piled together. Now I look at it and go, she's, she's pretty awesome. And she is incredibly faithful to the Lord. She's faithful to me. I, I don't think she's going anywhere. 
two kids of our own. We've got two bonus kids now that have come into our family kind of since they went to college, which by the way, if you ever have the chance to do that, that's a great way to have kids. We didn't have to change a diaper or pay for college and they're just in our family now. It's awesome. <laughs> Thank you. Um, but like, I can still get twisted even about my relationship with Julie. I, I can still get insecure sometimes and think, I don't know if she really is happy. I don't know if she really loves me, which is funny because let me just explain to you. If Julie's not happy, I know. <laughs> I, I know. But I still, in my own head, I, I can get wrapped around the axle. And when I do that, in this particular case, I always come back to, what's the truth? What, what's the reality that I know to be true based on track record? And, and I think when we get anxious, when we get stressed out about anything, it always helps us to come back to what is real, to come back, what, what is actually true in this world? Starting with Jesus. He is the way, the truth, and the life. So whatever I want to believe about this world, I know that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, loves me unconditionally to the point that he was willing to die on my behalf you can know beyond a shadow of a doubt that he loves you that much he was willing to go to the cross with you in mind that's the fact jack jackie and so when when you start to realize that and you realize that he went to the cross he went through the cross he rose from the dead this, this same Jesus, this, this same Jesus who rose from the dead, this same God who raised him from the dead and parted the Red Sea, let me ask you, what part of your life is beyond his control? What part of your life is beyond his authority and his love and his power? When I understand that God's got this, it causes me to kind of just be able to take a deep breath. I have to tell you, of all of the temptations and challenges in my life, anxiety is number one. It, it wasn't always this way. When I started pastoring a church, I learned what worry is. <laughs> I, I learned, and, and all of a sudden, I realized, man, I, I've got to stay close to Christ or I'm going to be overwhelmed by stress and worry and anxiety. You never... Here's the beautiful thing about being in a family, and that's what the church is. It's a family of faith, but it's a family. You, you never run out of things to worry about. Somebody told my wife recently that as a mom, she said this. She said, you're only as happy as your unhappiest child. I think it's true for dads, too, who are paying attention. It's, we, we worry a lot. But when we come back, when we come back to that center, when we come back to true north, who is Christ, then all of a sudden, may not change the circumstances, but it sure changes how we perceive those circumstances. So what do you do? What do you do? Number one, as you think about your thoughts and your feelings and your ideas and filtering them through the truth, the first thing you have to do is metabolize spiritually scripture spiritually metabolize scripture see i'm not a big fan of the term bible study and that may be just a reflection of my academic career but 
Bible study implies that if you read the Bible and know the Bible, then you're fine. And that is not the case. We, we have to metabolize. We need to make the Bible a part of who we are, a, a part of the fiber of our being. I think about when Jesus was tempted in the wilderness. It's in Matthew chapter 4. He's been in the wilderness praying, fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. And at the end of that time, at the end of that fast, is when Satan appears to tempt the Son of God. And it's, it's in that temptation that Jesus shows us how to do this. Look at what he says. Satan knows Jesus is hungry. He knows he's been fasting, and he, he leads by attacking Jesus at the point of his appetites. He says, listen, before we begin this discussion, turn these stones into loaves of bread. Just, just do what you need to do. Get you something to eat. Satisfy your appetites. And look at what Jesus says. Jesus told him, no. The scriptures say people do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Yes, we eat food, but we also need to ingest the word of God. We need to take it in and know it. Your word I have hidden in my heart. Psalm 119, the longest chapter in the entire Bible devoted to the truth of God's truth. We hide that word in our hearts. We ingest it. It becomes a part of who we are. And, and so when we know the word of God, that, that becomes how we resist temptation. That becomes how we sustain life. That becomes the vision for our lives, that we, we take that in. And, and, and I'll be the first to admit, there are parts of the Bible that are hard. There are parts of the Bible that are hard to understand. There are parts of the Bible that, that a lot of times we don't want to do. They're inconvenient but it always brings us life to follow God's truth. I wonder, has anybody else, because I've done this before, I'm just going to tell you before I ask you the question. Have you ever read the Bible looking for loopholes? Don't leave me hanging. Somebody in this room has done this. Thank you very much. You know, when I was looking for loopholes, when Julie and I were dating, we made a commitment before we got married that we were going to honor God and we were going to wait for marital intimacy until we got married. We just made that commitment, and it wasn't because we weren't attracted to each other. I mean, I was attracted, let me just say. And I still am, by the grace of God, and because she's awesome. But I remember we made that commitment, and there were so many times when we were dating, especially after we got engaged, where, you know, she'd start nibbling on my ear, and I was like, Julie, no. I'm just kidding. It's usually the other way around. But... We were, we were together on this commitment. But man, there were so many times when we were engaged and dating, I, I would pour through the Bible going, maybe there's got to be a loophole. Surely, if you're engaged, it's okay. Never found the loophole. Can I tell you something? That because we made that commitment to God and to each other, and by the grace of God, we fulfilled that commitment to each other, that God has blessed that commitment and, and honored that in our marriage in ways that we couldn't have even imagined. That, that when you choose to, to live your life in that, in that arena, one man, one woman, one life, man, the things that God does. And now, now that our kids are out of the nest, somebody help me preach on the empty nest. It is a blessing and a half. When they move out and start buying their own food, golly, it's awesome. 
If you're, and listen, you may have little ones at home. You may have like little toddlers. And you're going, oh, that sounds wonderful. I, listen, just hang in there. But feed the fire of your marriage along the way. Because it only works if you still like each other. But what a blessing. But that's, that's, part of, that's part of metabolizing Scripture, making it a part of who you are. The second thing you've got to do, and this is so important, think about what you think about. Think about it. Think about what you think about. Be deliberate and intentional with your thought life. A good friend of mine is Andy Andrews. He's a best-selling author and speaker. He's a phenomenal guy. Lives in Alabama, and Andy has, has a great statement that I've never forgotten. We, we've been friends now for over a decade, but Andy says, don't believe everything you think. Isn't that amazing? Don't believe everything you think. And yet so many times we do that. Look at what the Bible says. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. We demolish, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. We demolish them and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. So if I take my thoughts captive to Christ to make them obedient to Christ, that means some of those thoughts I got to eject. I got to get them out of there. And I might even need to get rid of the source of those thoughts. But I make my thoughts captive to Christ. Then my thoughts come through that filter of truth and scripture. My beliefs, the things I know to be true, the things that bring peace when chaos is swirling around me, then informs my decisions and my choices that then becomes my life. But it starts with the thought. If you've got a thought, if you've got an idea, maybe if you've got a feeling, take it captive to Christ. Think about what you think about. Be deliberate and intentional with the activity in your mind. And bring those thoughts, those feelings, those ideas captive to Christ. Once again, thanks for listening. If you live in the Brazos Valley, we would love for you to engage with us at one of our weekend services. For directions, service times, and information about our fabulous children's and student environments, visit us at brazosfellowship.com. That's brazosfellowship.com. Thank you.